0: So today, um, as Liz said, we're going to be looking at the story of Elijah. Now, when I was um, preparing this talk, um, we were asked to pick our favourite biblical character. Um, and my favourite story in the Bible actually comes from the book of Elijah. So prepared all the way through, got to the end. I was like, where has where the story gone? It's not there anymore. Um, turns out it's Elisha, not Elijah. But I was in too deep by then, so no going back. Um, so Elijah it is. Um, And um, his story is amazing in itself. It only appears um, in any substance in just seven chapters um, in the Old Testament across two books, one and two kings, not the book of Elijah, as Lydia has been saying all day. Um, And although he may appear fairly briefly, there are so many great events in his story. I'm going to try and whiz through a few of them as quickly as I can and pick out the lessons we can learn from him. Uh, Rach, why don't you come on up and give us our reading? (laughs) Thanks. So 1 Kings 17, if you're um, in the Green Bibles, which is on page 343.
1: Okay. So Elijah fed by ravens. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have instructed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zaraphath." in the region of Sidon, and stay there. I have instructed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went to and did as Elijah had told her so there was food every day for Elijah and for the women and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Amen.
0: Thanks, Rich. Um, thanks for pronouncing widow rightly as well. I had a kid who read it this morning who said window instead of widow the whole time. Um, Anyway, so to set the story in context, um, Elijah first appears in the Bible during the reign of the Israelite king Ahab. Um, now we read at the end of 1 Kings chapter 16 from verse 30, just before the bit that we just read, that Ahab, he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. So um, not only was Ahab himself pure evil, but his wife Jezebel was just as bad, if not worse. She and Ahab had married, and she had brought with her the pagan god Baal to the capital of Israel. Now, um, I study classics um, at university, which means I try and make use of it whenever I can, which is not very often. Um, However, this is one of those times um, I did a bit of further digging on Ahab and Jezebel, and it turns out that the Roman historian Josephus wrote about them both. So in his book, The Antiquities of the Jews, he said, This woman, Jezebel, was active and bold and fell into so great a degree of impurity and madness that she built a temple to the god of the Tyrians, which they called Belus or Baal, and planted a grove of all sorts of trees trees. She also appointed priests and false prophets to this God. The king also himself had many such about him, and so exceeded in madness and wickedness all the kings that went before him. So um, back to one Kings. Um, Ahab was uh, the latest king in a line of successors who had turned away from the Lord. Those before him, Omri, Zimri, Elah, Bashar, Nadab, Jeroboam, and Rehoboam had all done evil in the Lord's eyes. So this means that the word of the Lord had not been adhered to for nigh on a generation in Israel. And so it was into this breach that Elijah the prophet now appears into a land consumed by evil, pagan worship, and blasphemy. So if you turn back with me to the start of 1 Kings 17, which Rach read earlier, this is when we first encounter Elijah. Um, He's managed to get an audience with the tyrant Ahab, and I'm always very struck by the first words that we hear him speak. Verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, There will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. What boldness and what courage would it have taken to approach the king of Israel and say that? The irony behind these words is that Baal was also known as the god of fertility and the lord of rain. Elijah was prophesying drought. His words would have flown right in the face of everything Baal had stood for. I imagine Ahab would have been incensed by what he had heard, and within days, I'm sure, would have ordered Elijah to be thrown into chains and locked away in prison to rot for the rest of his life. Indeed, I'm surprised he didn't do it then and there on the spot. Um, but Elijah knew his purpose, and he was obedient to God. He'd been raised up by God to speak truth to those in power. There are countless examples of similar men and women throughout the Old Testament who were raised up. For this very purpose, we read of the midwives who refused to obey Pharaoh and Exodus, Deborah, Gideon and Samson in judges, David who defied Saul in one Samuel, Daniel Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who stood up to Nebuchadnezzar. The list goes on and on, and that is also our call as Christians today to stand up for truth, no matter what, no matter the person, no matter the station he or she holds, no matter the situation. Stand up for truth no matter what. So um, following Elijah's boldness, um, the Lord appears to Elijah and orders him to flee from Ahab into the desert. The Lord promises him protection, food and water. And sure enough, Elijah flees. And once there, needless to say, God provides for Elijah. We don't know how long Elijah was in the desert for. We then read in 1 Kings 17, 7, how the Lord again appears to Elijah saying, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. Um, Now reading that at face value, I know what my reaction would have been to that command. You must be crazy. Something similar to that probably. You must be crazy. Everything about that command makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. The small detail may have escaped you um, earlier, but we read how Jezebel, Ahab's wife, was from Sidon. She was the daughter of Ethbaal, the king of the Sidonians. So God was ordering Elijah back into the heartland of where Baal was worshipped and where Christians were being persecuted. So this was basically a death sentence. Ahab and Jezebel were in the middle of conducting a purge of Christians from their territories. By now, Elijah would also have been the most hunted man in Israel. He was the man who had prophesied drought and famine over the country. Everyone was after him, and here was God ordering Elijah back into enemy territory from the safe confines of where he currently was to an almost certain death. Not only that, but God was sending him to a widow who had been thrust into poverty, and she would provide him with food. He was sending Elijah into enemy territory to a poverty-stricken, single-parent widow who was to provide him with food. I know what my reaction would have been. God, you have me laugh. But you know what's amazing about Elijah? If you look at um, verse 10 of that chapter that we read earlier, Um, In five words, we read Elijah's reaction. So he went to Zarephath. So he went to Zarephath. What amazing obedience is that? And guess what? God provided in a remarkable way. We read in verse 12 um, that the poor widow is preparing for death when Elijah rocks up on on her doorstep requesting a meal. But Elijah then says, The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. And guess what? That jar had flour in it and that jug had oil in it until the day it rained. So what's the lesson from this? When God tells us to do something, even if it seems a little bit crazy and a little bit mad, we do it and God will provide. We go to Zarephath. Um, A few years ago, um, I was lucky enough to go um, and live out in Zimbabwe for five months, um, where I lived and worked on a farm with an amazing community of Christian people there. They'd felt called by God to um, the rural areas of of Zimbabwe to um, equip uh, the rural youth there with farming lessons, with life skills, with discipleship, and still to this day, it's one of the most amazing places I've been. The farm manager there told me a story of how their ministry um, had really kick started. Um, it's the late 2000s in Zimbabwe. Um, Robert Mugabe and his party, ZANI PF, um, were in the midst of invading people's land and kicking people off their farms in order to claim it for themselves. So the economy had plummeted as a result, but this had also led to Mugabe consolidating his power alongside his wife. Grace, a bit like Ahab and Jezebel. Um, So the farm manager, whose name was Peter, um, he told me how he was one day walking in the bush where his farm was. And God had said to him, I want you to build a dam. I want you to build a dam. Um, Now, at this point in time, investment in land was a complete no-go, as your farm could be taken off you at any time by Mugabe and his henchmen. Added to this was the fact that Peter had no money whatsoever. And there were also no structural engineers left in Zimbabwe due to the brain drain that had accompanied the land invasions. Um, A few days later, Peter was at lunch and he got chatting to an elderly guy um, in his 80s, a man retired for over 20 years. And it turned out that this man was a retired structural engineer. Peter told him of what God had been saying to him. Um, And they agreed to drive out to the site of the dam the very next day. They drove down to the site together and had a wander around. um, And as Peter walked back to the car, he realized that this man had not moved an inch from where they had stood. Peter was obviously a bit confused and walked back um, and asked him if he was okay. Um, And as he approached him, he looked at him and he saw... Tears streaming down his face. He was weeping. Face was wet with tears. And Peter again said, are you Are all right? What's wrong? And the man looked at him and he said, um, my wife died 20 years ago. And I've always been questioning God why he's kept me alive. Now I know why. Let's build this dam. And sure enough, um, the money poured in. Uh, The invaders miraculously stayed away and the dam got built. Uh, The dam was finished on a Friday. A retired structural engineer sadly died the very next day as the rain poured down and the dam filled up. And a week later, they had his funeral. When we obey God's call in our lives, when we go to Zarephath of Sidon like Elijah, when we say yes to building a dam when it makes absolutely no sense, However crazy, God provides, just as he did for Elijah and the widow, so he did for Peter and his farm. Um, Let's flip quickly onto another Elijah story in chapter 18, chapter later. Um, I don't have time to read through it all, but we're now in the third year after Elijah um, had prophesied drought and famine over the land. Times would have been tough. Food reserves would have been running out. People would be malnourished and crops would have been failing for the third year in a row. And the word of the Lord comes to Elijah, ordering him to present himself to Ahab and that rain would then be sent on the land. So Elijah eventually ends up in front of the king. He accuses the all-powerful, almighty Ahab of being the instigator of all this hardship. Brave move. But what he does next goes a step further and reveals to us Elijah's utter faith and reliance on God. He effectively challenges the 450 prophets of Baal to a duel. Baal versus God. And not only does he challenge the prophets, but he also challenges the people. We read in verse 21 how he said to them, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. A bit of time in Baal's temple, a bit of time in God's, that does not suffice. Elijah calls upon the people here to make a wholehearted commitment to God. Shortly afterwards, um, Elijah orders a bull to be sacrificed and placed on the woods, but not set fire to. The challenge is set. We read in 1 Kings 18:19, um, 19, verse 19, the God who answers by fire, he is God. So first up are Baal's prophets. They, they called on Baal's name, they shouted, they danced, they shouted louder, they slashed themselves, they prophesied frantically, and then they offered sacrifice. No fire. Then comes Elijah's turn. Such is his faith in God that he orders four jugs of water to be poured over the sacrifice three times. And what does he do next? If you look in chapter 18, verses 36 and 37. Elijah calls out, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. So that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And what's the result? The fire of the Lord fell and burnt up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. I wish I was there to see uh, the reactions on those prophets' faces. The amazement and bewilderment must have been quite something to have witnessed. What I find amazing here is the faith of Elijah up against hundreds, 450 Baal-worshipping prophets. The king Ahab and his wife Jezebel who could have put him to death at any time. He was confident, obedient and expectant enough to trust the Lord. When it would have been so easy to run away and yield, he not only stood firm. But he also issued challenge to those who did not yet believe. Now, um, when I was first reading through Elijah's story, um, at this point in time, I was thinking, wow, Elijah's Elijah's unstoppable. He's anointed by God. He can do anything. He seems absolutely perfect. But you know what? Elijah is also human. So This is the last story we'll look at. If you turn to chapter um, 19 um, and verses 3 to 5. Elijah has now got to a stage in his journey with God where he simply had enough. Enough of being vilified, enough of being persecuted, exiled, abused, death-threatened, enough. He cries out to God, I can't do this anymore. I've had enough, Lord, he cries out. Take my life. And for the first time, Elijah tries to do things in his own strength. Now, I don't know about you. Um, but there are times in my journey with God where I've thought similar things, where I've begun walking away from God. But You know what has happened each time? 1 Kings chapter 19 verse 9 has happened. It's almost like there has been a whisper in my ear when those times do get tough. What are you doing here, Elijah, it says. What are you doing here, Angus? What are you doing And if I ignored that, just as Elijah did the first time, God will repeat it as he did in verse 13. What are you doing here? He says. God cares about me. God cares about you. And Elijah ended up turning back, obeying God and resuming his ministry. And you know what? When you hear that whisper, follow God's command, obey him and he will provide A couple of years after the dam had been built in Zimbabwe, um, a group of men from Mugabe's party did rock up on um, Peter's doorstep to try and take the farm. Um, And what they try and do, rather than storm up the gateway and take the house by force, what they would do is um, stand outside the gates and basically try and intimidate them out of the house in what were known as pungwes. Um, so this is where all these young men, they'd get drugged up, they would smoke, they would drink, they would perform war dances, they'd light fires at people's gates to try and intimidate them out of their houses. And this is exactly what happened for three or four days in a row at the gates to Peter's farm. Um, and Peter and his wife got down um, on their knees on the third or fourth night um, and they cried out to God and they said, God, we, we can't do this anymore. We need a miracle. They had young, three young children um, in their house who were obviously absolutely terrified. And they knew that for the sake of their family, they now had to leave. But they gave God one more night. The next morning, uh, they woke up, drew back the curtains. Whoo, complete and utter silence. Silence. Everyone had gone. All the young men had gone. The fires were smoldering, but complete silence. Obviously, they were a bit confused. A couple of hours later, um, police cars stormed up the driveway, um, came through the gates, um, and Peter went out to see what all the commotion was about. And the police chucked him in the back of the car, and they took him off to the nearest jail cell um, and chucked him in a cell. And a couple of hours later, um, the interrogators went down to see him. And their line of questioning, Peter was very confused by. They said, Peter, where did you get all your white horses from? Where did you get all your white horses? And Peter was obviously completely confused by what was going on. White horses hadn't been seen in Zimbabwe for years by this point slightly confused the police soon um, released him but the story goes that overnight when Peter and his wife died prayed unto God that um, those young invaders had been chased away from their home by an army of people on white horses. So that farm and that um, that dam has now enabled and equipped thousands of people and thousands of families in that local area just because of their obedience to God. So, when God whispers in your ear, what are you doing here? What are you doing here, Angus? What are you doing here? I'd love for us to be a church where we follow God's command, we obey His word, however crazy it might seem. Because you know what happens when we do? God provides. Just like he did for Elijah and the widow in Zarephath. Just like he did for that farm in Zimbabwe. And just as he has done throughout the Bible and throughout history. God will provide.
1: Let's pray.